In the book of 2 Corinthians, uh, Paul is this, in this very personal epistle is talking about the gospel and his apostolic calling. And what had happened, some detractors had come to Corinth and had blasted Paul's persona and his message. And so Paul says in chapter 10, verse 10, he says, they say that I am not much to look at and that my message is lengthy and difficult and that I have, I'm a poor speaker. And he says, he doesn't even debate that. And he calls, he says, but they're preaching a different gospel. They're talking about a different Jesus. They're talking about a different spirit. And so instead of really dealing with what they're saying about his persona, he goes straight to the message. And so last week we saw we're in, in chapter 3, the first part of chapter 3, or the middle part, that, that these false teachers were, were taking the law of God, and they're saying, if you keep the standards of God, and you keep them long and hard and steady, then, then you'll be right with God. And Paul says, man, that's a different gospel. He says, you know, the, the, the law was given to convict us of sin, to point us to the Savior. He says, the, the law is passing away. He says, the, the, the glory of the Mosaic law was passing, but the full glory is now here in Christ. And he says in chapter 1, verse 20, he says, for all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus Christ. That, that is why it is through him that we utter our amen to the glory of God. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. It says the, the, the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, the, the, the Mosaic Law was just pointing to Christ. It was, a, it was a temporary glory that was fading. But the reality of Christ is now here and that is never fading. That is eternal and that is glorious. And that's what we preach. In mythology, there's a story. It's called the Sword of Damocles. And a young man goes to a king, supposedly, and he says, it'd be great to be king. You know, you have people stand here doing whatever you want them to do, and you're, you're in charge of all these troops and in charge of an empire, and you have, you, it must be great to be the king. And the king, his name is Dionysius, says to Damocles, he says, well, why don't we just change places? And so he brings that young man, he sits him on his throne, and he says, now look up, Damocles. And he looks up, and there's this sword suspended above his head by one hair. And he says, that's the way you live every day. You sit here, you make judgments, and realize that the sword could fall upon you and sever your head at any minute. And it's called the sword of Damocles. Now, when you go to, to this understanding of salvation, that, that the false teachers who were winsome and articulate, maybe handsome, came into town, and then they said, really, you just work and you work and you work and you work and you work. And, and it's called self-justification. It's called self-satisfaction. It's called self-righteousness. They said, you work and you work and you work. And maybe, maybe, perchance, you'll be made right with the God who is. The God of Abraham, Moses, and Isaac, Jacob. Paul says, no. That, that was just a preparatory. In Christ is the fullness. In Christ is salvation. We are saved by faith alone through the finished work of Jesus on the cross. Jesus is the fulfillment of the Mosaic law. 
Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament sacrificial system. In Christ, all the promises meet. We're saved by faith alone. It's nothing we can do. It's the work of God in our lives. We receive it. We just receive it by faith. See, so then he says this. In chapter 3, verse 16 through 17, he says, Now, whenever you turn to Christ, the veil of the Old Testament is taken away. You see clearly. Then he says this. Now, the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the glory of the Lord are being transformed. I don't deal with this issue, just take it apart. Now, now, now the Lord is the Spirit. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Or, or there is liberty. You're not always trying to measure up. You're not always trying to keep a list of, I've done these things that are good. I've done these things that are bad. Maybe my good things will outweigh my bad things. I'll somehow I'll make it up. said, no, no, there, there is freedom. There is freedom from work salvation. The pressure is off. Now hear me. This is the gospel. This is the gospel. The pressure is off. A similar situation that was even more heartrending in Galatians. Paul says this. Yet because of false brothers, false people, secretly brought in, who slipped in to our assembly to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ so that they might bring us back into slavery. These false brothers were saying it's okay to, to talk about Jesus, but you've really got to obey X, Y, and Z to, to, to be saved. And, and Paul says they're false brothers. They're spying out our freedom to bring us back into slavery. And he says later in chapter 4, what's happened to all your joy? Listen to me. When you get on the, the track of saying, I've got to do it, and we start saying it's up to me, instead of seeing Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe, your joy, your contentment go out the window. Because let me tell you something, you do not measure up. You don't. And you know it. And that's why it says in chapter 5, for freedom, for liberty, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Always preach the gospel to yourself. The pressure is off. Martin Luther. Martin Luther was an Augustinian monk. Started the Reformation in 1517. But Martin Luther... believed that he had to do a laundry list of things every day in order to have any chance of being made right with God. And so Luther says this, really two years after he started the Reformation by accident, when he was speaking against indulgences, he said, people kept saying to me, Luther, just love God. He said, love God. I hated him. I hated him. I hated this God who had these righteous standards that I could never attain to. He says, I was a monk, and as a monk, I was above reproach. I did everything right as an Augustinian monk. Later said, if anybody was ever saved by his monkdom, it would be me. He said, I did everything. And yet I saw... I saw that my work could never make satisfaction with God. He says, but I kept on, I love this, 
I kept on beating on the Apostle Paul. Importunately, he said. I kept, I kept beating on the Apostle Paul and studying the Bible. And I came to see that the just shall live by faith. And I've always been taught that, 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 that the righteousness of God is what I accrue by my work. But then I saw that the righteousness of God was done for me by the work of Jesus on the cross. And I saw that it was not my performance, but it was his work on the cross that saved me. And he says this, when I understood that, I felt as if I had walked through the doors of paradise. Paradise. Because I saw that I was saved by Christ and not myself. And I looked to Christ and not to myself. Freedom. When I was in high school, I played basketball. I was okay. And my first years of high school, I was coached by two different men, and both of them pulled me aside the start of the season. And they said, you know, you, you're, you're one of our main guys. I'm, you're, you're, you're the go-to guy. Uh, I, I will never take you out of the game unless you don't do what I tell you to do or you ask to be taken out or you don't hustle. You're, you're there. Just know that. You're, you're, you're there. And, you know, there's a lot of freedom there. Spontaneity. I shot too much because I thought, I, I am the man. I shot too much, but that's beside the point. And I had a pretty good shot, though. I had a pretty good shot. That's, if there was a three-point line, I could have already scored some points. In fact, I was really good, now that I think about it. <laughs> I was an undiscovered talent. That's, that should be on my tombstone, an undiscovered talent. <laughs> anyway, so my first two years, the coach said, you're my go-to guy. Then my junior, senior year, I was coached by a wonderful man, a very gracious man, a kind man. But this, this is what he would do. When he perceived that you made a mistake, he would take you out of the game and put you at the end of the bench next to the trainer. And I, he'd pull me out of the game, and I looked at the trainer. Sometimes I knew what I did. So what, what did I do? So I don't know. See, a good coach would brought me, sit next to me, Buster. And let me, this is what you did. See? But when you, when you play with the sort of Damocles above your head, as it will, there's no spontaneity. There's no, you, you kind of are, are frozen. So well, maybe, maybe I shouldn't do this. Maybe I shouldn't do that behind the back pass, that triple axle and dunk it. <laughs> Just kidding. It's a double axle. That's the point. <laughs> um, now, I thought about that. Now, this is a poor illustration, but if you believe that, that, that Abba Father loves you with an everlasting love and he cares for you, and before time began, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit set their affection upon you and you can't take it away, the pressure is off. But if you believe that there is this weight in the sky, like, like some professing Christians believe in, like the Islamic people believe in, that there's this weight measure in the sky and your good deeds had better weigh your, outweigh your bad deeds or, or, or your toast, man, that is pressure. Let me give you an example. Just know the gospel. For example, if someone comes to you and says, I haven't cursed for five years. I just haven't. And I'm so proud of myself. I'm so proud of my standard. I'm so proud of what I've accomplished. 
Y'all say to them something like this, may your lack of cursing be damned unto fiery hell. Something like that. That, that's earned. In other words, what they're saying, I'm earning the approval of God by my performance. You know, that's, you don't live, we, don't, we love the gospel. Converse, if you say, out of gratitude to the Lord who has saved me and made me a new person in Christ, I am very careful in my language because the Bible says, don't let any unwholesome talk come from your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their need. The Bible says in Proverbs 11 that the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. The, the, the Bible says, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt. I, I want my language to reflect the reality of Jesus out of gratitude for what he's done for me. And you say, praise God. Amen. Somebody says, you know, another example. I've, uh, since July the 30th, I haven't lusted after another woman. Haven't thought about it. I'm, 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 I'm really fine. You say, listen, look to Jesus. It's not your performance. If somebody says, you know, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6 that the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. You've been bought with a price, honor God with your body. Therefore, I want to be very careful about what I look at because I belong to Jesus. I want to be very careful what I think, what I entertain. I want to be very, very careful, very careful in this age when, when purity is almost impossible. I want to be pure-hearted because I love Christ. You see, there's a guy named Andrew Murray who was a pietistic writer from South Africa in the 19th century. But Murray said this, he said, he said, there is no pride so dangerous, none so subtle and insidious as the pride of Holiness. Holiness. I've got it together. Yes, I'm a Christian, but I've got it together. No, you run to the cross every day. Every day. And, and, and glory in the cross. And as you do that, the pressure is off. The pressure is off. The two ancillary points about this main point is this, that, that, that you're, you're free from shame and rejection. I said a few weeks ago that if you're truly in Christ, you cannot sin yourself out of the orbit of His grace and His mercy and His love. You can't. If you're truly in Christ, Spurgeon says this this week. Yeah. He said, Rejoice in believer in this, thou art accepted in the beloved, which is from Ephesians 1. Then he says this, and I'll put the caps. You look within and you say, there is nothing acceptable here. He says, but look at Christ and see if there is not everything acceptable there. Amen. Look to Christ. I was... There's a hymn, 1880s, it's entitled, I Am His and He Is Mine. It goes like this, I don't think I left in the office. It said, love by everlasting love, taught by grace that love to know, precious spirit from above, thou hast taught me it is so. Oh, this wild, oh, this great and perfect peace, oh, this transport all divine, 
For I know this truth, I am his and he is mine. And then he says this, things that once were wild alarms cannot now destroy my rest. Because I'm pillowed on the precious breast of Christ. And he whispers in my ear, I am his and he is mine. That's freedom. That's freedom. I just, I just thought about Romans 8. Romans 8, this, this glorious passage. It says, Romans 8, it says, verse 31, What shall we say to these things of God is for us? Who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him gloriously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who's the one who condemns? Jesus Christ, the one who died, and more than that, who was raised and is now at the right hand of God praying for us. Who, who is the judge? His name is Jesus, and he died for you, and he's praying for you. The pressure's off. That's what Paul, Paul is laboring that the church at Corinth would really get this. And he says, I, I, am, I am convinced ESV says, I am sure, I like convinced better, just sounds strong. I am convinced, I'm sure, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. Nothing is freedom from rejection and shame. You're free. Third thing is this, free to be me. Free to be me. You, see, you, 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 you preach the gospel. Listen, whenever you preach the gospel, if somebody doesn't sit up and say this, you're not preaching the gospel. Listen to me. And I get this from Martin Lloyd-Jones. So, if you preach the gospel, somebody doesn't sit up and say, listen, are, are you telling me that I'm saved by the work of Christ alone. Yes. That there's nothing I do. No, you just receive it. You just trust Him. So there's nothing I do. There's nothing you do. So, so let me, I don't do anything. No, it's all Jesus. Then some people there are going to think, it's party time. It's called antinomianism. Against the law. So, so they say, well, somebody were to say to me, are you saying to me that if I am in Christ, I can do what I want to do? What's the answer? Yes. <laughs> so, whoa. Maybe we can get out of here earlier than I thought. Well, listen to me. Yes. Romans 6. See, Paul's asked the same thing. There's nothing new under the sun. Okay. Romans chapter 6, verse 1, Paul says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Some people are saying that. Let's, let's just go out and let's sin with abandon and then say, Jesus loves me 
He forgives me. Paul says, are we to continue in, in sin that grace may abound? And he says this, by no means. How can we who die to sin still live in it? See, there's the answer. Yeah, you do what you want to do. Because if you are a Christ follower, if you have the Holy Spirit, see, Second Corinthians 3, the Lord is the Spirit. If you have the Spirit, you have new inclinations, new desires. You can't sin with abandon and just enjoy it if you're a believer. And he kind of fleshes this out in verse 15. He says, he says, or verse 16, do you not know that if you present yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and having been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness. Now this morning, everyone here is either a slave of sin or a slave of righteousness. And when you come to Christ, He gives you the Holy Spirit, and you have new inclinations and new desires. And so if, if, you, if you claim to be a Christ follower, and you can live in ongoing, unrepentant, unwoeful, undisturbed sin, you're not born again. You're not born again. You need to plead, God, God, save me. Work in my heart. Now, I, I love... I love the old confessions that just give meat to your bones, to put steel in your backbone. This is the Westminster Confession of Faith, Article 13. It just says this, the second part of it, it says, says that, that, that sanctification, sanctification is throughout the whole man, but is imperfect in this life. We always will struggle with sin, everyone here, till the day we die. It says this, there arises within us a continual and irreconcilable war. See, somebody said a Christian is a man or a woman who understands simultaneously great peace and great conflict. I think that's true. Continuous and irreconcilable war. You will never be done with sin. And then it says this. Man, this is good. In this war... Although the remaining sin in our body for a time may appear to prevail, yet through the continual supply of strength from the Spirit of the risen Christ, the born-again or regenerate part will overcome. So the saints grow in grace, perfecting holiness out of reverence for Christ. The Holy Spirit, by the power of the risen, ascended, interceding Jesus overcomes. Man, the pressure is off. You look to Christ. It's like in Pilgrim's Progress. I just thought, thought it was to go to the house interpreter. And, and, and in the house of the interpreter, there's this huge, this allegory, this huge fire. And, 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 and there's somebody pouring water on it, copious amounts of water. And, and the fire still goes hot. 
He said, I don't understand. He said, well, walk behind the wall. And you go behind the wall, and there's somebody on the other side of the wall pouring oil on it. And the interpreter says, the man pouring water is the devil and his minions. The man pouring oil is the Lord Jesus Christ. By the power of God, you overcome freedom. Free to be the people you've called to be. Do you, do you get the gospel of grace? More about that next week. It's so good. It's so good. The next verse is just... Do you get the gospel of grace? Do you run to the cross? Our hearts are spring-loaded to cry out, what must I do? Instead of saying, Jesus has done it. Run to the cross. This week I read an article, part of a book. It's fascinating. About a chaplain in World War II named Henry Garrick. Uh, chaplain Garrick was born and raised in Missouri. His parents were first-generation Germans. He spoke German, he says, more in the home as a young child than he spoke English. He was bilingual, fluent in German. When the war ended, if you remember, there was something called the Nuremberg Trials. And 21 leaders of Nazi Germany uh, were placed on trial. 15 were Protestant, loosely. Six were Roman Catholic. So they wanted to have a Protestant and a Catholic chaplain. And they asked Henry Garrick to be the chaplain to the Protestant prisoners. And so he was the only one, other than the council, that can go from cell block to cell block and talk to these men and pray with these men and get to know these men. And he said the first day he was making his rounds, he went to the cell of Field Marshal Wilhelm Keitel, one of the chief leaders of the Nazi army. And he said when he entered the, the, the cell, Keitel was reading the book. And he says, why do you read? And he says, I'm reading the Bible. And Garrick says, I could have almost fell over. And he said, I asked him why. He says, I know from reading this book that God can love a sinner like me. He said, really? And then they talked. And he said, will you, will you kneel at my bed and pray with me? And they prayed. And he said, this man was the real deal. And he went down the cell block and he met... Uh, met a guy on the left. His last name is uh, uh, Goring, the number two man in Nazi Germany, Hitler's right-hand man. And, and Goring said to him, he said, you know, I have no need for religion, but I'll come to the services every week. He says, Goring came every week without fail for a year, over a year, and sang the loudest. And then this man on the right, von Ribbentrop, Joachim von Ribbentrop, basically the Nazi Secretary of State. Was very cool and distant, but as he got to know Garrick and came to services, von Ribbentrop started reading the Bible and became a communicant or received the Lord's Supper every week. Six men received the Lord's Supper every week, and they proclaimed, we believe the Lamb of God has washed away our sins. And so both these men were sentenced to be hung by the neck. And the night before Goring was to be put to death, the chaplain visited him, and this is the interchange. He said, I went into his cell, and I had my final interview with, with Goring. And he continued to deny the fundamentals of the Christian belief. And when he had 
said that, he had the boldness to ask me if he could receive the Lord's Supper. His attitude was, quote, I'll take the Lord's Supper just in case there's anything to this business of yours, close quote. When Pastor Garrick told him that he could not take the Lord's Supper, he says, I cannot give this to you because you deny the very Christ who instituted the Lord's Supper. You do not have faith in Christ, and you have not accepted him as a sacrifice for your sins. Therefore, sir, you are not a Christian. As a Christian pastor, I cannot commune with you. He said, Gordon responded by saying, I'll take my chances. An hour later, instead of being hung, somebody slipped him a cyanide pill and he died of cyanide poisoning. And his fellow prisoners mocked him for his lack of bravery. Conversely, he went to see von Ribbentrop and they walked to the gallows together. And he was able to give a statement from the gallows. And von Ribbentrop said, I I would plead for all of Germany to one day be united. And then he turned to the pastor, and this is what he said. He said, I place all my confidence in the Lamb of God who made atonement for my sins. May God have mercy on my soul. And then he looked to the chaplain and he said, Chaplain, I will see you again. And with that, the trap door was released and he was hung by the neck. I thought, that's a picture of the gospel. One says, I'll take my chances. I'll do what I can do. Another says, I trust the Lamb of God who covered my sins on the cross. You know, get the gospel. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, listen, there's freedom. There is freedom. There's freedom. Freedom from self-justification. Freedom from self-salvation as you look unto Christ. Let's pray. Lord, I ask for those among us today in our worship services who, for, for some reason, are on the treadmill of perfectionism and self-salvation to see the beauty of the eternal God who died on the cross for our sins. And I, I, I just thank you that where the Spirit of the Lord is, when the, there is freedom. There, there's freedom, there's joy, there's spontaneity, there's, there's self-forgetfulness. There is not a constant... Um, furor in our heart to accrue a, a, a positive bank account with you because Jesus has done that. Oh, Lord, thank you. So may the strong reality of Christ be ours in growing measure. Um, do that, please, Lord. May, may we love the gospel and may we teach the gospel to the ends of the earth. God, as we glory in the gospel, we think of brothers and sisters who today are being persecuted and killed for their faith. Uh, let us be faithful and bold. We pray for these, these dear people in 
Pakistan who last week were just blown up in a church service. What we think of this situation in this mall in Kenya where people who had an association with the Christian faith were just shot and killed by jihadists. And, 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 and God, while, while we grieve and we mourn and we think about the persecuted churches in places like Iran, and we, we, we go back to the church father who said that the martyr's blood is seed to the faith. So as we see these dear brothers and sisters, may we be emboldened in our freedom to play to an audience of one. You, living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So bring, bring the gospel to bear in our lives, and as you do that, Lord, bring revival. And God, have mercy upon us and upon this land. In Jesus' name, amen.